is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I've actually preached here by video in COVID. Um, but actually to be here in person is a very different, is a very different thing. And you can tell when you're in a, a British church because there's a large room and everyone is spread out to the sides and the back. So uh, if anybody would like to move into the middle, please, please feel free while I'm talking. Otherwise, I should do my impression of somebody watching tennis, which is to do this <laughs> while we carry on. So it's great to be here. Lovely for us to spend time with uh, Graham and Sarah and the kids yesterday. I had a great time with them. And uh, it's great to have friends, isn't it? It's great to have friends. And church is about friendship. It's about community together. So wonderful for us to do that. So as a church, you're working your way through the Gospel of Mark. And today we have reached Mark chapter 8 and verse 14. So if you are going to follow it in your Bible or on your phone, we are at Mark chapter 8 and verse 14. And we're going to read on to Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. So it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he'd spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And so once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And so Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the other disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said, For you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone, ex- what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with his angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come in power. Let's just pray before we continue. Father, we pray for your spirit to be with us this morning. Lord, those of us who are here, Those of us who are watching on Zoom right now, those who may watch this in the week, Lord, we pray for your spirit to be on each one of us. And Lord, we pray this is your word. Lord, we pray speak into our hearts this morning. Speak into our hearts. Lord, we don't just want to read your word blindly. Lord, we want you to speak into our hearts and into our lives. And so, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this... This passage is the central point of Mark's gospel. So you can divide Mark into into, uh, lots of different sections. Some people divide it into seven. Some people divide it into five. But you can also divide it roughly into two. The first part perhaps being the mystery of Jesus' identity and mission. And the second part, the demonstration of Jesus' identity and mission. And so right in the middle, these two themes meet. Who is Jesus? And then what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? Who is Jesus? See, this question is not just a central question for this passage or for Mark or even for the Bible. It's the central question of history. It's the central question of history. And the response to that question is pivotal for every individual that is asked it. It's not just about what happens when we die. It's about what happens in this life. It's a crucial question for those who don't know Jesus because their response can be the difference between death and life, can't it? But it continues to be a crucial question for us as Christians. Who Jesus is and the cross of Jesus is not something just for our conversion, it's something for our lives. And we're going to look at that this morning because the implications of our answer to this question, they reverberate through the rest of our lives. If he is the Messiah, as Peter answered, the king sent from heaven, what should this mean for every part of our lives on a daily basis? And so this morning we're going to consider this question. We're going to look at what Jesus said and we're going to reflect on what the challenge is for us. But Mark's backdrop to this question of who Jesus is is this concept of spiritual blindness. And we read quite a large passage, and there are lots of different elements to the story that we read. But what we need to understand is Mark has put those there as part of the backdrop to this question. And so we're going to see that as we go forward. And so Jesus said to the disciples, who do the people say I am? And they replied, well, some say uh, you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah, and still others that you're one of the prophets. And so the people had some ideas about who Jesus might be because he reflected some of the things they 
they recognized, but they, they were confused. They were confused. Maybe Jesus was just a good man. Maybe he was a great teacher. He was a healer. He was a prophet, perhaps. But they couldn't see clearly who he was. And in the section before our passage, the section you would have read last week, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign to prove to them who he was. And they asked him that, having just watched him feed 4,000 people from seven loaves. And so the reality for the Pharisees is they didn't want to see who Jesus was. They didn't want to see it. They were willfully blind. We can be ignorantly blind, and we can be willfully blind. And then we come to Jesus talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And obviously, as Jesus was at pains to try to point out to the disciples, he wasn't talking about them forgetting the bread. Clearly, if Jesus was short of bread, he could miraculously manufacture his own, as he had just done. But he was saying to them, watch out for the yeast. In other words, the deception, the blindness of the Pharisees and the claims of Herod. They're spiritually blind. See, the kingdom of God was not going to come through keeping the Pharisees' rules, all 613 of them. Anybody fancy that as a, as a religion? The kingdom of God is not going to come through religious observance. That's not the way to God. The kingdom of God was not going to come through Herod's claim to be king. He wasn't even a real king. He was a puppet king installed by the Romans. You see, false kings, false gods, worldly systems, they don't lead us to God either, do they? And so it's very easy for us to be blind. And then Mark takes us into this story of the physically blind man. He said that the man came to Jesus and Jesus prayed for him. And the man was physically blind, but Mark uses this story to allude to spiritual blindness. And so Jesus spits on him. Anybody tried that in praying for the sick? Jesus spits on him and he prays for him. And the man can sort of see partially. He can see people, but they, they look more like trees. And so Jesus prays again. And eventually he can see clearly. And Mark is using this as to talk to us about spiritual blindness and the fact that we can go through a process of seeing. See, Jesus' first question was who do people say I am? And that was perhaps an interesting point of discussion for the disciples, but really that was just a setup for the second question. And the second question was this, who do you say that I am? And that's a question that is directed to all of us. Who do you say I am? It doesn't actually matter who the people say Jesus is. Who do you say that I am? And Peter has a revelation from God that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's chosen king. He's a saviour sent to address the problems of sin and death once for all. To restore us to a right relationship with God. To establish the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus has been around preaching the kingdom of God is near. He was the culmination of all the prophetic messages and texts in the Old Testament. But Peter doesn't understand what the Messiah is. He gets his revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, but then he rebukes Jesus for his explanation. Why? Because he's still partially blind. 
There's something he can see, but the rest he can't see. And we shall see shortly that being partially sighted spiritually is as insufficient and as ineffective as being blind spiritually. And so this morning we don't have time to look at all the Old Testament prophecies and things that talked about Jesus. We're going to focus on what Jesus himself said about being the Messiah in this passage. And so in verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, referencing himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and rise again. And it will be a huge understatement to say this did not fit with how the disciples thought about the Messiah. As far as they were concerned, the Messiah was going to come as an earthly king, and hopefully in their day he would save them from the Romans. He would save them from oppression. He would save them from slavery. And he would install them as the world's superpower instead. That was what they were looking for. And that they, as his closest followers, would sit on his right and his left when he came into the glory of his kingship. And if you remember, James and John actually asked him for that. Because that was their expectation. And God was sending a triumphant king, but he was sending a king over the whole of creation, not just a small patch of land in the Middle East. He was sending a wonderful saviour, but not from political or military oppression, but rather from death and from sin. See, the New Testament is clear. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's perfection, all of us. And the result or the wages of our, of our sin is, is death and separation from God. But Jesus suffered once. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us, to bring us to God. And so Jesus knew this. And so Jesus began to teach them what the Messiah would really be like. And it didn't fit with their expectations. You see, the way of the Messiah was not military victory. It wasn't political power. It was the way of the cross. The way of the cross. The cross was a shameful thing. It was what happened to thieves. The cross was a shameful thing, but the way of the Messiah was going to be the way of the cross. The way of rejection, the way of suffering, the way of sacrifice, the way of death. And when Jesus came in his glory, he did indeed have someone on his right and someone on his left. They were the two thieves crucified either side of him. And so when James and John were asking if they could sit or be on either side of Jesus when he came in his glory, Jesus said, you don't know what you asked for. See, this is the way of the Messiah. And in verse 32 it says, Jesus spoke plainly about his sufferings and death, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And despite Jesus having just warned them about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, Peter shows that actually he's up to his neck in yeast. He doesn't understand anything, does he? But Peter's protestations are not just misguided. They actually oppose the very nature of God's purpose and the truth of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples and he rebukes Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. And we can read that and we think, that was incredibly harsh. But when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, 
He tempted him to give up his mission and let Satan just give him the kingdoms of the world. He said, you could be king of the world, Jesus. This is the easy way. But there was no easy way to conquer sin and death. And Peter's rebuke is just a heart back to the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. Look, Jesus, take the easy way. This is how you do it. But Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew what was coming. It was for the joy set before him that he went the way of the cross. And we are part of that joy. Because Jesus was looking for a new creation. Not just a king for a small patch of ground in the earth. He was looking to be king over creation. Of a new heaven and earth. Kings of new creations, that's us. New people. People who could share eternity with him. There was no easy way. And so the way of the Messiah was not the way of earthly glory. It was the way of the cross. And if we present the gospel without the cross, we are falling into the same trap as Peter. If we present the gospel without the cross, we're missing the truth of the gospel. And if we present the Christian life without the cross, being at the center of that life, on a daily basis, then we are falling into the same trap as Peter. Because having talked about the nature of his messiahship and what that entailed, Jesus goes on to talk about what does following Jesus look like? He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? See, Jesus leaves us in no doubt. The Christian life is the way of the cross. The way of the Messiah is the way of the disciples. Why? Because we're following him. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. And sometimes you hear people saying, oh, I've got a cross to bear. And actually that comes all the way back to this passage, but they misunderstand what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus says, you might have to take up your cross, he literally meant, you might have to take up your cross. And so for the Christians in the first century, that was part of their world. As a Christian, you might be following Jesus and taking up your cross. See, disciples are people who literally follow Jesus who are led by the Spirit, and who, like Jesus, are prepared to die. Now, sometimes that might be physical death, but actually it might be being prepared to die in so many other ways in our lives. Yes, the way of Jesus' disciples is the way of God's love and God's mercy, his grace and his peace, the inexpressible joy that Peter talks about, but it's also the way of humility and rejection and sacrifice. And these seemingly opposite things are two sides of the same coin of following Jesus. And that's what we're called to. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, to be Jesus' disciple is to lose our lives to gain his. When we, when we came to Christ, we said, Jesus, here's my life. And then sometimes we spend the rest of our Christian lives trying to pull our life back, don't we? See, our lives are his now, not in a theoretical way, but a real way. 
our hopes, our failures, our destiny, our dreams, our purpose, all those things that we look forward to in life, our friendships, our marriages, our children, our work, they're all his because we gave them to him. They're his. They all belong to Jesus. Every part of me belongs to Jesus because I gave him that. But if you're like me, you need to submit that back to him on a daily basis or I'll be, I'll be reeling it back again. Actually, I gave it all to you, but I quite like this piece over here and I'd quite like that piece over there. But it's no longer mine. Jim Elliot, a few of you may have heard of him, who lost his life proclaiming the gospel in the 1950s, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. To gain that which we cannot lose. We have eternal life with Jesus. And that life has started. We're walking that life. If you know Jesus this morning, you're already walking eternal life. We cannot lose that. But this is just a temporary life. It's a temporary life. We are often so surrounded by so many wonderful things, aren't we? There are so many possibilities in our lives. We sometimes forget how well off we are compared to the rest of the world or, in fact, the rest of history. It's very easy for us to be comfortable in our lives, and yet Jesus calls us to something radically different. Our treasure is not our comforts. Yes, Jesus gives us things back in our lives, but that is not our treasure. Our treasure is our relationship with him. Our treasure is not our earthly life. It's our eternal life. And Jesus says you cannot lose that when you're following him. And so we need to allow the cross to work in our lives on a, on a daily basis so that we die to sin. In our attitudes and our speech and our actions, I wonder what about our secret lives? We all have secret lives. We have secret thoughts. We have secret habits and we, and we delude ourselves that no one can see them, which might be true except for God, of course, because they're not secret, are they? And I wonder whether some things need putting to death in our lives this morning. There are things in our lives that actually Jesus is going to put his finger on before we leave here. And so I want you to put that to death. You gave me your life. Now, there's lots of things that we all know in our hearts what our secret things are, don't we? And Jesus wants to come to us and say, I want you to put that to death this morning. And we need the cross to deal ruthlessly with our own priorities, our desire for financial security, to have a, a nice home, to have a family, to have holidays, to have things. Things become important to us, don't they? We have secret idolatries. And there was an incident that happened when I was, when I was 20. I'd sort of wandered off from God a little bit, really. And my main hobby was cars. And Graham knows I'm still interested in cars. And that was where my money went. It was where my time went. I was already on my fourth car by the time I was 20. And uh, this car was a huge American sports car with an eight-cylinder engine. It was my pride and joy. And then, I, and then I came back to God. And I was filled with the Spirit, just on my own. It was one of those things you, you never forget. And then within a few weeks... God said to me, sell your car. Sell your car. He said, it's in the way. It's not in the way on the drive. It's in the way in my heart. It's in the way. 
I sold my car. And then afterwards, God challenged me to give away the time and the money that I used to spend on that car to other things. See, Paul urges us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when we come together in church and we talk about worship, what most of us mean is singing and praying and doing other things. But this is what we mean by worship. But the Bible talks about worship as a much wider thing than that. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because that's your true worship. And so we can come here and we can sing and we can, and we can be with God together. That's wonderful. But actually God is saying your true worship is offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is what Jesus' call on our lives is for. And that is what Jesus was saying in this passage. He says, this is who I am. This is what I've come to be. And as my disciples, this is what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to follow me. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. See, it's impossible to be truly following someone if we're ashamed of them and their words. If we're truly following Jesus, then we're all in, aren't we? Like the gambler who puts everything on one roll of the dice or on one hand of cards. We can't hedge our bets with an alternative lifestyle on the side. It's not how it works, is it? When we're all in, when we're all in in terms of our following, then we will allow the way of the cross to shape our thoughts, to shape our speech, to shape our actions, to shape where we go when we're on our own and we think no one's looking. When we're all in and our following, then the way of the cross will shape how we are with each other, our one anothering, our discipleship, our submission to each other. When we're all in and our following, the way of the cross will shape how we love our neighbour. It will compel us out into the world to make disciples. See, loving our neighbour is not about our church having a social action project, good though those things are. It's a personal command to each one of us to be loving and serving all of those that God puts in our path. You know, Love Derby sounds amazing. And I'd encourage you as much as I can to get out there and be doing that. But actually, they're things that we can be getting out and doing in our daily lives as well. Because God always puts people across our path, doesn't he? It doesn't matter whether that's at work, in the office, or wherever we work, or the school, or the factory, or in our street, or just people we pass by. You know, I've started to strike up conversations with uh, the lady that sells the big issue in, uh, in the little uh, village area down the road from us. Because these are people that we see. And actually, I could easily see her on a regular basis. All I have to do is walk. And God puts people in our paths. See, going into the world to make disciples is not the responsibility of the church like this. It's the responsibility of the church. We're all the church, aren't we? It's not the responsibility of the church evangelist. It's a personal challenge to us as disciples. Because actually Jesus called all of us to be disciples. And to be a disciple is to follow him. And sometimes we can live our Christian lives as if 
we're following some good moral principles. Or, or we're following Jesus' teaching. Or we're following what's happening in church. But actually, Jesus didn't call us to follow any of those things. He called us to follow him. What does that look like? He called us to follow him. Now, it might, for most of us, it's not likely to mean that we pick up our cross, literally, and follow him to our death. But he's called us to follow him. So what is Jesus doing? When we go to work, what is Jesus doing in our workplace? When we walk down our street, what is Jesus doing? Because Jesus is doing something in all those places. Jesus is working. Are we engaging with Jesus working in those places? Because he's called us to be salt and light wherever we are. Yes, there are great things that we can do together as a corporate body. But being salt and light is not just about that. It's about who we are as Christians in the world. And we're in the world every day. Along with a small, uh, very small group of friends, Daryl and I have started going for a walk uh, each week during the spring and summer months. Uh, Last year particularly, we got going with this. And it's a walk to which we invite others to walk and talk with us. And so we invite friends and contacts we've made in the local area and also uh, the local group of GPs have sent us one or two people to come and walk with us for the benefit of their physical and mental health. It's very easy, isn't it? You go for a walk and then halfway through we sit and have a coffee and chat. But in the process of walking, it's amazing how you talk in a different way to trying to get alongside someone in another setting. And so people come and we talk about our lives and they talk about their lives and we get to know them. But in the midst of that, you get opportunities to talk to them and to listen to them. And people are rarely listened to. If we can do nothing else in our society but listen to people around us, we will change lives. Because people have broken lives and challenging lives and no one listens. Even before COVID, statistically in terms of surveys, the biggest issue in this country was loneliness. That's what people said. Loneliness. We're the church. We're the answer to loneliness because we've got Jesus. And on top of that, we've also been involved in regular litter picking. And we get the community to come out on the litter pick with us and then go back and have some food. And so suddenly you find not only are you doing something for somebody, but they're alongside you and they're doing it with you. And so you've got people who are doing it with you and people you're doing it to in some cases. But it's just being alongside people. And the simpler the better. Actually, people often don't want everything that we try to give them. They want someone to listen, someone to walk with them, someone to be their friend. And we're surrounded by a whole society of those now, some of them hide it better than others. They, they live behind six-foot-high walls and electronic gates. And some of them hide it less. But people are people. And they have the same challenges. And people are lonely. And we have Jesus. And following Jesus... If Jesus was here right now, this is a question. We've, we've just started watching The Chosen uh, series two. And 
you watch it and you think, yeah, this, this is what Jesus' life was like. If Jesus was here now, what would his life look like? And if we were his disciples, which we are, and we were following behind him, where would we be going and what would we be doing? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, yes, we have jobs to go to and we have responsibilities, but we know where Jesus would be. We even sang about it this morning. Jesus is the friend of sinners. That was aimed at Jesus as an insult, but it summed up his whole ministry. This man eats and drinks with sinners. He loves people. Was he mostly with the religious people? No. He was with the very non-religious people. And so if we're following Jesus, this is where we're going to be going. Because that's where Jesus is going. And I don't think Jesus has changed the sorts of things that he would do. And so what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you to be following Jesus today? Where would that lead you? See, Jesus has called us on an adventure. And yes, it's great to be together as the church. And it's great to come together. But the adventure of God is not just about coming here on a Sunday morning. The adventure of God is what is God doing in the people around me that he's called me to be with? It's an adventure that we're called on. And we won't know as you, as you watch The Chosen, you realise they had no idea what Jesus was doing on a daily basis. Because he didn't tell them half the time. He just started off and they had to follow. And they, they, they had no idea where he was going and they were often discussing it amongst themselves behind his back. Actually, often we try and have everything tied up with string, don't we? Neat and tidy, we know what we're doing, everything's planned. No, Jesus wants to break in to our planned lives and say, actually, I want you to, to go over there. I want, see that person? You're not in a hurry for that meeting. You've got 10 minutes to talk to them. The meeting can wait. And he wants to change our perceptions of what following Jesus looks like. And in this passage, he's saying to them, you're my followers. Where I go, you go. If that leads to death, it leads to death. But ultimately, it's you've given your life to me and so you're following me you're following me see in John 14 22 it says very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father so the question for us is does the word whoever qualify you and I I think it does so very truly I say to you if you believe in me, Jesus says, you'll do the works I've been doing. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because you think, well, Jesus went around healing people. He went, but I believe God is stirring us afresh to be challenged and to step out in faith. And if things don't work, then we, when we go again, and we go again. And even the story of the blind man who could only partially see initially before he could finally see is for us to get hold of. You know, sometimes we have to go through things that don't work very well. And so God is challenging us to steps of faith. And just as Graham brought that word at the end of the worship about having a bigger vision of God. There is a bigger vision of God for you as a church. And I don't mean you as a church in everything you do together. I mean you as a church of individuals. There is a bigger vision of God for what God wants to do through you. There is. It's great to serve in the church. God gives us gifts. It's great to have ministries amongst each other, but they are never the primary thing that God has put in your heart. They're not our primary purpose. They just go along with it. Our primary purpose is to, is to see the world change through Jesus. 
And I believe that God is calling you as a church to have fresh faith on the back of that word this morning. And say, get a bigger vision of what I've called you to be as a disciple. As a disciple. So that's God's challenge to us this morning. Jesus is the Messiah. And if, we, if we've answered in our hearts that question, who is Jesus? Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're my Lord then what we've said is, I've given you my life. I've lost my life for you. Lead me. I want to go where you go. I want to go where the excitement is. Now, we'd be saying that if Jesus was here and we were following behind him, wouldn't we? But we are still following. He's given us his spirit. And so the fun is still out there. The excitement is still out there. Yeah, John Wimber, when he first went to church, he'd read his Bible and, and he went to the meetings and he went to the church leader and he said, when do we do the stuff? And the, the, this guy said to him, what do you mean the stuff? He said, well, the healings, the miracles, the speaking to people about Jesus. And the guy said, we don't do those here. That is not church. Let's get hold of what God has for us. We only have a short earthly life. Let's not waste it. Let's get out there. Let's have a bigger vision for what God has called you to be. What has God called you as a disciple to be? And so Jesus asks for a response to his question. See, God can give us revelation. God has given us revelation of who Jesus is. But there is an outworking of that revelation in our lives. And it's an outworking that happens on an everyday basis. And so this morning, I wonder whether there are areas of our lives that we need to resubmit. To Jesus. Things that only we know about, perhaps. I wonder whether you feel unempowered this morning. See, the last thing Jesus said in our passage was this. Some of you who are standing here will not die before you see the kingdom of God come in power. See, the kingdom of God has come in power. Jesus died. Jesus rose. He poured out his spirit. We're in a kingdom of power. But I wonder whether some of you this morning are feeling, I want more of that I want more of that I want more of the spirit I want more of God's power so who do we say Jesus is this morning who is Jesus and what does that mean for me and I'd love us to to respond to him in our own way I'd love, love you to stand up if you can and I'd love us to respond to Jesus' question, who am I? And the implications that it has for us as a people. Jesus has called us to follow him to the ends of the earth. He's called us to follow him into death. He's called us to follow him wherever he goes. And I want to be someone who if Jesus turns left, I don't just blunder straight on. No, I want to be where he is. So where is Jesus? Now, if you've got things in your heart and your life this morning that you know that Jesus wants to put his finger on, that they need to die, I want you to do business with God right now. Just as we stand here. Because God is speaking to one or two people here.
you, knew, if you feel you need the Spirit to stir up your faith, to engage with the world, then cry out to him for that right now. We need the Spirit. We need God's power. He knows we do because we're weak and fragile. And so we need the power of God. And so I, I say to you, if that's what you want, cry out to God for his power. Let's not miss out on the adventure of a lifetime that God's called us to, to follow Jesus. If you want to be filled with the Spirit for the first time, or you want to be filled again, find someone next to you to pray for you. Or if you want, you're obviously very free to come down here to the front and people will pray for you. But let's not miss an opportunity for God to touch our lives. The Holy Spirit is here this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you, will you move amongst us in our hearts right now? Lord, you know each one of us. You know all our strengths and all our weaknesses, all our fears. Lord, you know who you've called and yet you've filled us. You've changed us. And you've empowered us. And you've put your inexpressible joy in our hearts. And yet, Lord, we know that we need to recommit ourselves and resubmit ourselves every day. Lord, we've given you our lives. If you're here this morning and you've never answered that question about who Jesus is, if you've never given your life, and God is speaking to you right now. Who is Jesus? But for the rest of us, Spirit, we pray, speak into our hearts, challenge our hearts. Do things that we need done in us. And Lord, we want to be a people who have a big vision for what you want to do in this city. We want to be a people who have a big vision for what you want to do through us in our little lives, in our little corners where no one sees. Lord, you have a big vision for what you want to do. You've put people next to us in our office or our school or our factory, wherever we are, that no one else is going to get to be next to. Lord, you've placed us. So I just feel that there are Maybe some people here who are standing here asking, um, what's my ministry? I don't know what my ministry is. I'm waiting for my ministry. And uh, I feel a real strong sense of God saying, your ministry is to love your neighbor. So open your eyes and see where your neighbor is. Um, just keep your eyes open. Walk with your eyes open, your head up, and I will show you who your neighbor is. 
And God wants you to give your time to your neighbours, your love, your energy. That's what your ministry is. That is what our ministry is. Um, yeah. few more seconds. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, we pray we are yours. We are yours. Lord, lead us, we pray. As we go from this place, as we go out into our, the rest of our day, as we go out into the rest of our life this week, Lord, we pray, lead us and open our eyes. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.